Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is Aaron Maurer, and we are here with another outstanding guest, someone who has uh, not just a, a worldwide perspective, but someone who is actually not just helping try to create some change in, in education where we're talking Steam, where we're talking makerspace, whether we're talking learning space design, professional development, um, but also immersed in, in working and speaking with educators and administrators and getting involved in the schools. So it's not just another talking head. Um, and I've had the, the privilege and the opportunity to, to speak with this guest time and time again, kind of behind the scenes. He's helped me out tremendously with all the 18 million questions I send his way, usually throughout a school year. When I get to work with educators, and I don't know the answers, and so he is one of these few people I can reach out to and I know he's always got good stuff. So, Kurt, why don't we jump into it and let everybody know kind of who you are and what you do and, 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 and kind of your passions around the, the, the education landscape. I think, Aaron, for that introduction, it's always nice um, to chat with you. Uh, for those who uh, haven't heard of me, I'm Kurt Zastro. I'm the business development manager here at Demco. Uh, I get the fantastic job in the business development world of constantly being in front of school districts, uh, for a variety of titles. I'm talking with school district leaders, superintendents, teachers, principals, directors of curriculum facilities, and it's just fantastic for me to understand kind of what they're trying to do as it relates to these learning spaces, to maker spaces, all with the goal of how do we teach and learn in new and different ways and positively impact our kids. Sometimes those are very space-related conversations. Sometimes I'm in front of architects and designers a lot, listening at a high level for how they're intentionally trying to design a K-12 space. Sometimes it's reaching out to the educational service agencies like yourself. They're so influential in just understanding how we can support them. So I just love it that it's a wide variety of space conversations, hands-on learning opportunities, and just different ways that we can look at the educational system as a whole and where we can impact it to ultimately affect our kids. It's a fun job to have. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I, I can only imagine. And I know that you and I were both at ISTE this past summer, and, and one of the things that I love about ISTE is all the buzz and the latest trends and trying to just to see um, what's on the cutting edge of education, but also trying to sift through maybe some of the things that um, – look shiny and bright and kind of die off in the in, in the sunset rather quickly because they don't have that that learning practicality and I know I got to do some conversations with uh, Dr. Bob Dylan around learning space design and and so one of the questions that I have for you maybe to kind of start start this off is you were at ISTE you get to see all the things that people are excited about um, and so through your lens when you get to work with districts through all these different channels of helping them create better learning space design or, or hands-on learning or whatever their need might be what have been some what were some key takeaways from ISTE and, and, and what have been some things that since then since in the summer I mean here we are several months later that you have seen kind of um, come to fruition with schools going okay we need we, we need to start making these things happen 
Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's one that I've reflected on a while because you're right. ISTE is just, it tends to be the center of the K-12 universe for those couple days. And it is crazy. It is amazing. Um, and you just, your head is spinning when you're walking through there. Uh, my teammates and I often joke, it's kind of like walking through Vegas <laughs> with lights and sounds and slot machines. And it truly takes a little bit with all of the good conversations that happen at your booth to kind of pause and reflect and think, okay, now how do I continue the conversation with these people? So what I've done is I've kind of put together and it's a slide I often use in a lot of my presentations, but it kind of seems to me from those ISTE conversations that there's four buckets swirling around and in the middle of that, there's kind of where I like to think of it as that sweet spot of learning or that high impact zone. And when I kind of, step back from ISTE, there seem to be these four areas. And I, and I start with kind of the design of the space. And I say that because there's a different type of learning that is happening in these spaces. And sometimes it's a maker space room, sometimes it's a classroom, but there's an intentional design and a thought that goes into the space planning for these rooms. I often see kids when they're walking into one of these STEM or maker rooms, they high five each other or they're kind of giving a yes, they know that a different type of learning is gonna happen. So the space has a different kind of vibe and energy around it. And I think you have to start there because that frames up kind of how your space is gonna be used. You then certainly have you know, some tactical discussions around what kind of furniture and storage am I ultimately gonna need in these different hands-on learning opportunities? Because you want your space to flex with you as needed. Certainly things are going to change from day to day, but as education and ideas change, you want this evolving space to flex with you. There's certainly conversations I have around maker products, coding, robotics. Should I do design and build? Should I do circuitry? All of these are opportunities for kids of all ages. It really just depends on what you're trying to do and accomplish in these spaces. So certainly I view these maker and STEM products as a part of these buckets of learning. And then certainly the content curriculum and PD tie-ins. Uh, we certainly spend a lot of time in my team thinking that it's just so much more than just products. I don't want people to think about it, that it's just the stuff that you have purchased. And it almost brings a tear to my eye when I take school tours and I see these fantastic looking products on a shelf collecting dust because people are afraid to use them. They don't know how to use them. So we spend a lot of time with content and curriculum ideas, giving people design and idea, uh, design challenges and ideas to help use this stuff. We try to nudge them into their comfort zone. And then last, you know, we think a lot about professional development, um, certainly a buzzword and a lot of people are doing different types of trainings, but we're starting to come to the realization it just can't be done in a one day format and then you push them in the deep end of the pool. We're constantly thinking of ways to kind of support and guide along the way, uh, certainly with kind of movers and shakers that we're connected with. But somehow when all those are swirling and they overlap, I think you're really hitting on all cylinders for learning uh, and just fantastic kind of food for thought to think about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, thanks for that answer because there's so many things there that I, that I would – I, I want to unpack, you know, the first thing is I just, it's funny as you were talking about going into these spaces and seeing high end equipment or really cool uh, materials and tools for kids to use and it's collecting dust, you know, and I used to always joke um, 
that like the 3D printer for the longest time was like 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 the health industry's version of like the uh, treadmill. You know, everyone buys it with great intention, and after a while, you know, your treadmill just is there as, as a hanger for your clothes. And the 3D printer kind of became the same way for a lot of schools. It, it caught on, then it might break down, or if someone moves, they don't have to have they don't know having that that knows how to operate it. And here you are with this three thousand dollar piece of equipment that. Uh, you know, it's just sitting there, or they're so scared that kids might break it, and so um, it's always, it's funny to hear you hear you say that. Um, and I and I and I, I want to come back to that idea, but I think a place for us to start first, because I think it's a, a step that gets glossed over time and time again, at least in my experience working with schools and teachers, is the idea of the learning space. I think most people jump right into, please tell me what I have to buy. I have I have $1,000 or $10,000. What do I need to buy in order to create this hands-on space? And they never take the first steps to actually look at the space first. Um, and so I know you gave some ideas there of being flex and, and, and furniture, uh, but if we could dive into there first, and maybe not so much in terms of big scale, um, I'm thinking of like the classroom teacher that may not have $10,000 or may not have the opportunity just to go request brand new furniture. That would be perfect in the ideal world. But as you work with people with learning space, what are some of those beginner steps or ideas that someone could could begin to think about their learning space before they think about buying stuff to fill the space? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And as you were talking there, Aaron, I was just nodding my head along to a lot of what you were saying there. I think we're on the same page. You know, I often get that question, you know, what should I buy? I have X amount of dollars. What should I get? And I always take a step back and write my easy answer is, the product selection, that's actually the easy part. <laughs> you know, different areas of focus and age group are going to lend itself to different conversations. And so I often uh, suggest to educators, hey, let's just pause. Let's talk about what you're trying to do in this space, right? We're always trying to just help me understand the why. And to be honest, that's the fun part of where the discussion is. Because if you're truly trying to say, hey, I want to expose kids to a different type of learning, I want to do more hands-on learning opportunities. It can be as simple as, you know what? I was in the Madison School District the other day, and they just painted one of their existing walls a green screen. Mm. So, okay, now I've just painted it, um, and I have all these different podcast opportunities. Uh, that was an easy place to start. Uh, next to it, I looked at uh, one of their butcher block tables, and they were taking apart old VCRs and radios and DVD players and just understanding the components of how they work. And you see that a lot. Sometimes without even having the need for coding and robotics or the latest and greatest piece of STEM equipment out there, just start with getting kids. You want to find ways to get their creative juices going Sometimes it's just working with cardboard, have them do a design challenge, have them work with, you know, some strawbies or connects or Legos, just something that's out there that's easy, that accessible, tap into that. There's all kinds of places that you can get ideas about it or just start off with kind of this recycling. Hey, we want to take apart stuff. We want to analyze how it came together, work in groups, figure out, hey, I'm at this point in my project, but that group, boy, they're a little bit farther. Have the groups talk to each other. I don't think there's a, a cookie-cutter approach that needs to happen with this. I don't think you need to spend exorbitant amounts of money to do this. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking, certainly with referendum and building projects. 
And those, right, you're starting with a, a clean slate. You're building something from the ground up where there's uh, momentum and dollars behind it. The majority of people I talk with, they're talking about how do I just wake up the space that I have? How do I give it a facelift? And I think that those can be done on smaller opportunities. And you don't have to get hung up on exactly the products, these STEM or makerspace products that you're doing. Because I just encourage people, I can certainly give you guidance once I've understood kind of your why. But I just want you to try something because even if it's not in your comfort zone, the kids are certainly going to be excited and eager to help you with it. And I'm trying to boost up the staff and educator confidence just along with it the entire time, because I almost view that as part of the challenge is to be continual a cheerleader on the side. And I know you and I have talked about this, but you can do this. Learn with the kids. It doesn't have to be figured out day one. You're going to build in its small victories and you're planting seeds along the way. Yeah, I love that. And it, it reminds me, I'm working with some schools now too. And, you know, one of the places that we started with, we're, we're, we're in the media center. So we have a bigger space than say a classroom, which I know has its own constraints. You know, and one of the things that we're starting off with as we're trying to develop the, the why or the purpose of the space, like, what do we want to, what do we want to see? You know, I think it's, it is in, in Dr. Bob Dylan and Rebecca Hare's book, the space, like what are the verbs that you want people to see when they walk by, you know, and try to identify those top two or three verbs, which has always been a great conversation piece for people. But one of the things that we're doing first is, is we're, we're, we're decluttering like before, like, I know you want to go by and bring all this stuff in, but do you even have a place for it? And, and let's get rid of the stuff that's not being utilized. Like, let's let's find ways to create more space so then we can start to develop learning modalities and station, you know, and be able to fill it properly. Um, you know, and I feel like sometimes we, we get these great ideas, you know, kind of like the things that burn teachers out. Like every year there always seems to be two or three more initiative, but, but they, never, they never take initiative away. And, and we get frustrated with that. I think the same thing happens in learning space. If you want to bring stuff in, like something has to go too. you know, I think it just can't be more and more and more to the point where the learning space becomes suffocating. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And so, you know, so so let's say like, because I also know then like the reality of that many educators face, like they would love to do this work. They would love to spend time developing the purpose and, and decluttering and creating a learning space station. But the reality is like time is always a factor. Like we get that and, and we're not going to debate that. But then what happens, at least what I see happen quite a bit is all of a sudden they're admin or they get a grant, something happens and they go, oh my gosh, I've, I have this opportunity. I've got $5,000 that I didn't know I have. Now all of a sudden it's like urgent because the, the turnaround is quick. Like you've got one month to spend this money or it goes on to somewhere else. And so and I am sure you have probably received countless uh, requests and this similar type of thing. So let's work through that process because I think that is also reality for many people. Here you are, you've been given X amount of dollars and you've got one month to spend it and you've never really considered all these things that we just talked about, but we got to spend the money and buy stuff. Like how do you help educators like start to process that, you know, in that short time frame? Cause I think that's where a lot of people get stuck as well. Yeah. And, and you're right. It, it really is a common conversation because you're planting these seeds along the way. And then all of a sudden, like you said, there's a line in the sand, something has happened and then it's go time (laughs) and it is fast and furious. And so I have a lot of these conversations where uh, depending on the budget, sometimes it is space related. 
But through the course of the conversations, and it may happen, uh, I do a lot of these where it may take a conversation or two, uh, but depending on the learning space needs, a lot of times we can reuse what they have in terms of furniture and storage if it's all about the stem or maker ideas. But after spending, you know, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, half hour on the phone with them, I can give a pretty good gauge of where they are and how we can help with some specifics. Because the nice thing I like about my job is that we are all about options. So I don't have to push particular products. Depending on the age of the kids, I can get a sense of what areas of focus are they really into. Um, you know, are they going to set these up as stations? Do they want to rotate kids around? What's the ages of their kids? Can you tell me a little bit maybe about what they've been exposed to um, in elementary school or middle school? Because then I can help build on that. So maybe we're not starting exactly from scratch, but I can get a pretty good idea of what they're trying to do. And then, like I said, helping them with their shopping cart is kind of the fun and easy part because they're going to be excited about it. And I think I can try and help guide them towards products for the most part that have content, curriculum, and ideas built in with them. So I can have a part of that story and the solution that seems to go over really well is that, hey, if there's a space and furniture component, I'm taking that into effect of my conversation, basically, and taking that part in to say, hey, this is how we think about it. I'm going to help you design your space. And then based on our conversation of where you are and what you're trying to do, here's the products that I can uh, recommend for you and get you up and going and really set you up for success. Uh, versus just, again, kind of saying, hey, here's some product ideas, good luck, but kind of put a total solution together for them, and it seems to go over really well. You can almost see the anxiety level coming from, you know, a 10 down to about a 2 or 3 after the course of our conversation because it's like, I got your back, I'm with you, I understand, I talk to a lot of people that are in the same boat as you, and here's how we're going to do this. We lay out a plan, and they feel like they're ready to hit the ground running. That's the fun part. <laughs> Yeah, and so as I, I just love it. I mean, I think so much of what you're doing is I mean, one is it's kind of bringing down their anxiety because so many people feel like they can't do this, and they very well can. Like, like we, like it's 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 possible. This is not overwhelming work to be done, even though we we can convince ourselves that it is. And and the second piece that I love is you were talking. You know, it comes back to this idea of like we've got to make sure that as educators we have the confidence in ourselves and in our space so that our kids can turn around and have the same thing of confidence in themselves and confidence in, in the space to create. And so I think all those things that you're doing as those supports kind of help reaffirm and, and, and help people bring up their, their confidence going, I can do this. And I think that's something that um, a lot of teachers have lost is, is, confidence for whatever there's I think all sorts of variables that go into that where they I think they just constantly keep getting chinks in their armor and then all of a sudden they start to disbelieve over time like man maybe I really can't do anything but this this one specific path you know and I think that's so important that we continue to support one another whether whether it's you and, and the work that you do or the podcast or just even colleagues within your school is like helping one another make those things happen I think it's, it's so and so important that we have that that kind of positive growth mindset when we get into this work. Yeah, it, it's a mindset and opportunities to build on your successes, right? I mean, one of the things that I always love when people are struggling of how to get a space up and going is I'm always asking them, well, how do you display the kids' work? Can they see, is there windows around here where they can see where other kids are doing? Do you display their project somehow? How are you sh going to share the buzz out with your 
school leadership, with your staff members? How are you going to share it out with the community? Because I guarantee you that these conversations are happening. You just need to continue to call out the work that you're doing, big, small, somewhere in between. And that's how it starts. Momentum starts here. Success starts here. And you just continue to build up one another. And it just naturally starts, you know, ballooning out into other areas of the school. It's fantastic when it happens. It's not always overnight, but it does take, you know, we can support you in your journey and be positive along the way. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I mean, a lot of that is just it's, it's giving ourselves permission to be to be vulnerable and to do that with our kids. And, and you know, I think that's that always brings its own element of risk of, you know, we worry about how people are going to judge us. But I think it's one of those things where, like, if we don't share that, you know, there's so many people that have that message that go around and present at conferences and books, you know, if we don't share our story, who will? And so I think we have to remember that we have to be, be the drivers of, of, of the story that that's going to be told about our learning space or classroom or school. And so if we're not going to do it, who will? And we may not like who that author might be, <laughs> you know, if, 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 if we're not the ones that are, that are willing to, to uh, tell that story. Um, you know, and so as, as we go through here, I, I know that there's there's educators that are listening to this and, and they're nodding their heads, they're agreeing with it, you know, and I think they also like concrete, specific things, you know, and so every every space is different. Probably every time you work with someone, it's different. Um, but what are, if, if we do want to drive down that idea of, of some of those tools and, and, and materials, like when you work with lots of schools, like what are some of those, those common things that, that people start off with um, in terms of they've got their learning space established, they kind of they have a plan, and I know depending on the plan, obviously, it's going to impact materials, so we're, we're generalizing majorly right here. Um, but outside of like, I think everybody's always told like cardboard, duct tape, you know, um, those things to start with. But like, what are those trends? Like as you work, I mean, you work with lots of schools and lots of teachers and lots of those types of things that, that you have found that like time and time again, like this is like the gateway drug, so to speak of, of helping do all the things that we just talked about, building confidence, getting the hands on, getting kids high-fiving when they walk into the space, those sort of things. I mean, I know, you guys have so many materials, so I, you know, I'm not asking for a sales pitch. I know that's not what you want either, but I think people are always looking for, like, what are those things that people are using? Because it's hard to sift through everything online because you think you have to have it all. Right. It's the, the big problem that we always hear is, my gosh, there's just so many options out there. So on one hand, we're preaching, oh, my gosh, look at all this stuff out there. But you're right. You get to a point where you're like, well, just tell me what I need. <laughs> so uh, it, it's kind of one of those things that you continually talk through on their journey. You know, some of the things when I look that we have a lot of installed customers around uh, our teacher geek solutions is kind of this all inclusive maker cart. So what we like about that is that when you're looking for different uh, parts and ideas of how to use things, we have this all-in-one cart that I've seen in elementary schools, that I've seen middle kids, middle school students use. High school kids are using it as part of their project lead the way or to build projects. It's on a cart and it's mobile. So I see that. What I like about that is that it's making its way around the school. Sometimes it's kind of its home base maybe in the library, but I see that now the more schools I go into, it's actually going from their library to their classrooms to their maker areas to their STEM areas and it comes with ideas and built-in projects with it and now I've seen kids doing their own type of 
projects and building with it, which I think is even taking it to the next level. So Teacher Geek has been a fantastic partner of ours. I see a lot of Ozobots. Mm. I see a lot of dash and dots and cues in schools uh, when it comes to coding and robotics, because I certainly see a lot of elementary schools in the Ozobot world. Dash is very popular in the elementary school world. But for those kids who are really, okay, I'm starting to understand some basic sequencing and coding, there's a nice opportunity then you start to transition to Q in kind of maybe your fifth grade upper elementary in the middle school, and it allows itself with all the different sensors and interactions. I like products that can migrate, um, that can cross over through multiple age groups and just allows you to do a lot of different things that also have content tie-ins. So when I think of Teacher Geek and Ozobot and Dash and Dot, both of those by Wonder Workshop, we do a lot with Dremel. You had mentioned 3D printers. Uh, that's one that we do a lot of work. Uh, prototyping continues to be a very popular theme for kids. Okay, we're going to give you a design challenge, but we actually want you to make the parts that go with it. We have a strong partnership with Dremel. Uh, the other thing, when people are saying, hey, I have nothing, and I am looking to get something off the ground, we developed what's called the Demco Maker Collection, and it's actually an assortment of coding and robotics opportunities, design and build opportunities, and then circuitry products that are all included uh, within kind of think of it as a kit, and we actually wrote a binder that goes with it. And that binder, when I've showed people at conferences and the ISTE, the reaction I get, and I've heard this multiple times, is, oh, my gosh, that binder, that maker collection guide is gold. Because that tells you how to set up designs and set up activities. It's got a teacher and student reference guide. And, again, you can use this for those people who really haven't even dipped their toe into this maker world. Not only now do you have all the products, but you have content and challenges that go with it. That really helps set them up for success and shows kind of how we think about things in a total solution by providing the contents and the content. And again, we hope to have a couple of different versions of that. We already have a low tech version of that. If you're just interested in cardboard and connects and strawbies, otherwise we have a deluxe collection, which includes circuitry and robotics, but a fantastic place to start. If that's truly, if you don't have any products yet, Let's give you exposure to a wide variety of things and give you content curriculum tie-ins that go with it. Yeah, I love it, and I appreciate you taking some time to share those things because I think as much as we assume that people know where to get started, man, it is the wild, wild west out there, and I think um, those ideas that you share are very practical to get people started. I know even working with some schools now where the idea of maker or hands-on learning or STEM or whatever angle people are coming at it with you know, you just go, well, just, just look online. Everything you there is need. But when you look online, it's like, holy buckets. You see people doing crazy, insane, expert-level stuff. You think, I can't do that. Then you see other things, and you're like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, and so I just think there's, uh, you know, just the, the idea is just to get started, you know, and it's with some of those practical things that I think um, are, are, are those good entry points to start to just get a feel for how things work, um, you know, and so there's like, nothing wrong with starting with the duct tape and cardboard but you know what are those next things is just as you said there there are supports and there's things out there to help you wherever you need to to, to make those things happen um 
you know, and, and maybe with that, one more thing on, on tools and materials, and then we'll get away from, from that and kind of wrap things up to be respectful of your time. But since you were at ISTE, I, I am curious, since we started with this podcast, starting kind of framing up with the ISTE, was was there anything that, that you saw at ISTE or things you've seen since, like, that's, that's kind of new and developing that you kind of have an eye going, ooh, this could actually be be good for learning? Because I think that that's also the other big thing, right? Like, we, we hear these things, but then after a while, once you get established, you know, all of a sudden, like, everybody's using, you know, I remember I had that at my middle school where we were using spheros, and it was the bee's knees. Everybody loved it. So then we, we, I started sharing with the elementary. Well, then the elementary school started using it, and kids came to middle school, and they're like, well, we did that in fourth grade, you know? Like, it wasn't cool anymore, um, even though we barely scratched the surface with the capability. So, like, we had to kind of reshift what we were doing, Um and so since this year, when you walked those, that convention hall of 87 miles of stuff, and maybe since then, do you have stuff on the radar? You're like, Ooh, I, I, need, I need to pay attention to this to see if this is something that, that, that could be of value. Yeah, and to be honest with you, some of those discussions are product-related. I think part of the makerspace, you know, people that have been doing this now for a while, they're always interested in kind of maybe what the – the next latest and greatest thing is so we have a team that's our explore team that's a, that's all they do is kind of check out okay now oh, wow. we've got some established established things that we've got going but what are the next robot opportunity that we should add so there's certainly a product focus actually it's not even so much a product focus for us but we spend a lot of time now thinking about um, coming out of ISTE, the professional development opportunities. Yeah. And what we're starting to do beyond just the products, because like you said, if you just tell people, hey, we got all this stuff on our website, that actually makes it worse because it's just <laughs> it's, it's overwhel- it's too, it's overwhelming, right? Yeah. They got to look through all these things. They're not the experts in it. They quickly get to, oh, my gosh, this is just one more thing on my plate. So coming out of ISTE, when I hear a lot of people say, I need help, with products. And when I dive deeper into that, they're saying, tell me stories about how these products are being used. Tell me how my social and emotional learning connections can be expanded by using this robot. Tell me how this design and build can connect with this different segment of my kids. Um, But the teachers maybe aren't always in that comfort zone. And what we've been now exploring coming out of ISTE is really, hey, maybe there's some opportunities for us to connect with some movers and shakers out in the maker world that were former educators that are looking to help people by saying, hey, let's let's talk a little bit about the why and get you to your product conversations ultimately. But let's not just have this be a one and done where you come here, you know, you do a webinar or we do this in person over a couple hours. Let's have a starting point and then let's do this over the next couple of months. Let's think of maybe some check-in points. Let me continue the conversation with you in different supporting ways. And again, some of it may be in person, some of it may be online, but I think the opportunity coming out of ISTE is exactly what you said. It's to help people make sense of how do you set yourself up for success, not only from a product perspective, because I know that's what it comes down to. We can help you make sense of those options, but how can we get different educators within a building together and then guide you over the course of a couple months to really make an impact with your staff and kids around it? And so I really think there's a lot of 
professional development and training opportunities that we've been spending a lot of time post-ISTE really thinking about how do we continue to connect with people um, and just bring everyone to the table to have different conversations that aren't just a one and done or cookie cutter, but are this continued conversation about how to work with each other and set each other up for success. I think that's kind of a little bit where the secret sauce is going to be and where a lot of these product conversations are going to go is how are we teaching and learning differently about it and connecting with your organization through the use of these hands-on learning. I think it's going to be almost more product development, how might we conversations versus then just a product conversation. No, I love that. And I think that's something that's so important. And I'm glad to have you say that because I think what we expect teachers to do on a daily basis is to constantly support kids where they are and they're constantly moving up and down the learning progressions of whatever the task might be on a daily basis. We're constantly asking teachers to meet kids where they are, but very rarely do we provide that same support for the, for the educators, you know, like we're that ongoing PD. There's so many of, Hey, I'm here for the day. That's fun. I disappear, you know, whatever. Um, not, not, not that people have that mindset, but that's typically how PD is. You know, we come in, we do something, we leave, and now it's on you. So I like that there can be this ongoing support. And I know even for me in the work that I do, where the, where, where the changes really started to happen is being able to meet with someone up front and then continue to check in and, and keep having conversations, keep supporting along the way um, until they get to the point where they're like, I got this. I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, but if we just had one conversation and said, good luck, like things don't take off. And so I think that's something that, that that's important, you know, not just for helping in this, but in all things of education, like the things that we're, we're demanding teachers to do as students, we got to make sure that we're providing those same supports for teachers as well. <laughs> you know, like it has to be, be full circle in order for the education system to move where we want it to go. You got it. You, you can't just push one side of it. The teachers need just as much support as the kids. And I couldn't agree with you more. That's the fun part of it. And I don't know if anyone's got it completely figured out, but you can sense that there's a gap there that we need to build up. Yeah. So I want to, I want to be, be respectful of your time here because I know that you're a busy man here um, and, and lots of things going on. And so, so Kurt, if, if people want to follow up and they want to see all the stuff that, that, that you've got going on, you may, I'll make sure in the show notes, everything we talked about is linked and, and the graphics that you referenced. Um, but if people want to um, either reach out to you or learn more about Demco or, or learn more about these ideas, I know, on the website itself, you guys offer so many free supports and lessons and ideas. And so, um, I mean, I think people can get a really good sense of, of the amazing work that you guys do. Um, you know, if, if they're just trying to dab their toe in this and, and, and get a sense for what's going on, but where can they go to uh, check you out, reach out to you and uh, learn more? Yeah. So I try to get my social media game uh, rocking these days between Twitter um, at Kurt Zastro. You can follow me on LinkedIn is a great place that I like to share a lot of our successes and share images is another thing that we didn't hit on too much here in our time together, but it's one of those things where people, when they're stuck about the space, sometimes they just need something to react to and, and help them envision about what could be. And so I do a lot of that of sharing out recent projects. Um, in spaces all over the school, library, learning commons, but modern classrooms, music rooms, cafeterias, STEM maker areas. 
I like to share as much of this out as I can uh, via Twitter and LinkedIn. But if there's something certainly that you would like to ask me or just, hey, it's something that's top of mind that you'd like to talk through, shoot me an email at Kurt Z, K-U-R-T-Z at Demco.com. And I'm happy just to find wherever you are in your learning space or makerspace journey, just to continue the conversation and provide and share resources with you. I think, I think that's where it starts. And that's what we're all passionate to do. And we'd just love to have that initial conversation with you. So I appreciate that opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to emphasize what you said there, and, and, and I'm glad that you brought it up. For those that want to see those visuals, because it's so important, and I know for me, I have benefited so much from the visuals and things that you share on LinkedIn, and so I know um, it's slowly becoming one of my favorite platforms for learning, um, where the other sometimes the other platforms can kind of get buried in lots of other things going on. But you have shared so many amazing visuals and examples of schools and, and things that you have done. So for those that are looking and need the visual concrete, like just show me like before and after, show me what these spaces look like that Kurt keeps talking about. Man, LinkedIn is the place to go to check your stuff out because I know every time I see your name pop up, I know I'm, I'm going to get something of, of value from there. And so um, I can't, I, I just can't, highly recommend connecting on LinkedIn with you enough because there are some really, really great ideas that you can start to kind of create your own little gallery folder, um, you know, as, as you're starting your own journey of what your own learning space could look like. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'm, I'm glad that didn't get lost in the uh, translation of this podcast. So um Kurt, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. All these links will be down in the show notes. And if if Kurt is someone that's not currently in your PLN and your network of learning, you need to get him added because he brings a, a, a wonderful perspective and, and voice and, and examples in these work. Um, and, and not only does he have great ideas, he's also just a great person that is always an email or phone call away. I feel like every time I reach out to you, um, you're always there, willing to help. And, and, and I can't thank you enough for that because we just need more and more people um doing this work because it, it truly does matter so i thank you for all the stuff that, that you do and your team as well because i know you, you don't do it alone um so um i just want to make sure that i express my gratitude for all, all, all the work that you guys do um for education and i and i just echo that i appreciate you inviting me to this i love connecting with other passionate educators we're all in this for the right reasons to impact our kids and it just gets me fired up to think about what could be and continuing those conversations with educators wherever they are. So just thanks again for everything you, you do as well. It's great. Hey, no problem. You know, we're all in it together, aren't we? <laughs> That's the name of the game. That's right. That's it. Well, thank you so much.